Hello, everyone, and welcome to a crime story podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Probably means that you are just as in love with true crime as I am. You are a crime junkie or a murderito, or you just enjoy hearing the occasional true crime story. Well, you have found your place. I am originally from the United States, from the great state of Texas, but I currently live in France with my French boyfriend. I am studying international relations and diplomacy, as well as international law. Goal of this podcast is to cover international cases that aren't often heard about in the American media, even though every now and then I will cover a case from America that... I just want to cover or I find particularly interesting and it may have an international element to it. So sit back, grab a snack, and listen to the first episode of A Crime Story. I hope you enjoy it. So today the crime story that I will be covering is comes from France. So my sources for this crime story are France 24, About France, Newsweek, the book Crime and Criminality, a multidisciplinary approach by Sandy Taylor, Les Points, the local France, Francois, Les Parisiens, Le Monde, C-News, Les Fargo France, Les Internautes France, and RTL. Before I begin the crime story, France runs on a civil law system which is unlike America, which is run on a common law system. The basis of French law is off of the Napoleon Code, which was originally drawn up in 1804. There are two branches of French law, the French droit privé, which is private law, and the droit public, which is public law. French courts are headed by judges or a magistrate, and criminal court proceedings can have a juge du instruction, or translated to a judge of inquiry, which is in charge of conducting investigative hearings that precede a criminal trial. We'll actually see this in a case that I cover a couple weeks from now. So a judge de instruction can decide if a criminal trial will even take place or not. And then another note to keep in mind is that France does not have capital punishment, so you won't see it in the guillotines here in France anymore. And actually, most of Europe, besides Russia and Belarus, do not have capital punishment. Our crime story takes place in 2011 in Nantes, France. Nantes, France is located in the Pays de Loire region, which is on the west coast of France by the Atlantic Ocean. Nantes is the sixth largest city in France, and it's known for its beautiful scenery, seafood, and many castles. Nantes has a population of about 300,000, but the greater metropolitan area area has population is just under a million. Nantes used to be a part of the Brittany region, so Britain culture is still heavily felt among its citizens. The Dupont de Ligonis family consisted of 50-year-old Xavier, the father, his wife, 48, Agnès, and their four children, Achille, who is 20, Thomas, who is 18, Anne, their only daughter, was 16, and the youngest, Benoit, who was 13. The family also had two Labrador dogs. When you look at this case, you'll often see the family as described as aristocratic, but to note that France exnayed aristocratic titles during the French Revolution, and actually the family 
was drowning in debt. I even found a statistic that in the year 2009, the the family is only reported as making 17,000 euros, which is crazy to think for a family of six. Xavier was a former t military man who is described as someone who had a bit of a strange personality. Neighbors have said he was courteous and discreet, and some have even speculated that Xavier had a personality disorder. A friend of Xavier said that he was not crazy about God, though he was raised Catholic and that he adored his wife. Xavier wrote on a Catholic forum website that he was fascinated by the concept of sacrifice and saw it as an essential notion to Catholicism. He had a mistress named Catherine who is a company executive in the Val d'Oise region, which is actually where I live, which is just northwest of Paris. And Xavier told Catherine that he was having marital problems and financial problems and that he had, quote, hit rock bottom. Xavier's job can be described as either an entrepreneur or a salesman, and he is described as often being absent from the family home for professional reasons. He had several businesses with some moderate success, and he did have a business that had a debit card-like feature that allowed users to take out money from ATMs without leaving a trace. Agnès, whose maiden name was Houdangier, the mother was described as a devout Catholic. Her religion was extremely important to her. All of her children went to Catholic school, and she was in fact an assistant teacher at a Catholic school in Nantes. Relatives describe her as a charming woman in public, but could be very authoritarian with her children. Agnès met Xavier at the beginning of the 1980s, but according to a timeline that I've made, they would have married around 1992 or 1993. A friend of Agnès described that she was crazy about Xavier and that he did what he wanted with her, which doesn't sound like the healthiest relationship to me. In 2004, Agnès wrote in an online discussion forum complaining that her husband was, and I quote, too brittle, too dry, too rigid, too military, and that he only lived for his work. Arthur, who was the oldest son, was not actually the biological son of Xavier, but Xavier had been in Arthur's life since he was two years old and considered him to be a father. I tried to look into more info about Arthur's biological father, but I really couldn't find much. Arthur, who was 20 years old in 2011, was studying information technology at a college about an hour away from Nantes. Note that most universities are not residential in France, and if they are, it's not through the school. And also in April, when this story takes place, there is a two-week school break in April, so that's why he could have been home. Um, Ache was actually a waiter at a pizza restaurant in Nantes, just down the street from the family, so I would make an educated guess that he lived at home and commuted to college. But I really couldn't find that in my research. And Achir, just before he passed away, told his family that he couldn't bear the family climate. Thomas was 18 years old uh, in 2011. He was born in 1992 and was the first biological child of Xavier. Francis described Thomas as being discreet, kind, attentive, and a joking boy. He actually just earned the French equivalent to a high school diploma and he went to college for music and actually lived on campus near Angers, which is about an hour east of Nantes. 
He actually wanted to study in the United States, but due to the family finances, it just wasn't feasible at the time. Pauline, who was Thomas' uh, ex-girlfriend, described him as a lighthearted, cheerful, and happy guy. A really nice guy who always listened to what you had to say. Very close to his brothers, sister, mother, and father, and was passionate about music and cinema. Anne was 16 years old in 2011, having been born in 1994. She was in the U.S. equivalent to 11th grade with a science focus in school. She is described as sharing her mother's devout Catholic faith and consider and approachable. Benoit was 13 years old in 2011. He was a choir boy at church and considered to be very popular among his friends with girls really liking him at school. Now, I wish I could tell you more about the family and the victims in this case, but I really couldn't find much and what I did was often repetitive. I often feel that in crimes that victims are lost in the mess of the justice system and who committed the crime. Really give you as much information about the victims as I can because they were people who did not deserve to die a horrible death and I really do hope that they're all resting in peace. In the weeks leading up to the tragedy, the father, Xavier, did a target practice with a rifle that was inherited to him from his father. Some even speculate that the death of Xavier's father may have led him to do what he did. Xavier also purchased a gun silencer, chalk lime, and a spade. Bullets for the gun were purchased on March 11th. Xavier reached out to Agnès' employer. Uh, remember, she worked at the Catholic school and said that Agnès was suffering from gastroenteritis and was in the hospital and not to contact her on her laptop. With a week later, Agnès' employer received a letter of resignation because she was, quote, moving to Australia. Xavier also went to the real estate agent to terminate the lease on their house, stating that the house was costing them too much and was poorly maintained. Everything was cleared out of the house, and the children's schools were also informed that the children were moving to Australia due to Xavier's urgent professional transfer. Actually, they were alerted five days after Anne and Benoit stopped showing up to school and their final fees at the school were paid. There was also a note on the mailbox that stated to return letters to the sender, and the family's bank accounts were closed. A couple days before the tragedy, the mother, Agnes, confided in a nun and said, pray for me, I will need it. Now I will go over a timeline leading up to the tragedy. So on April 1st, 2011, Achu leaves his college and does not show up at the restaurant that he was working at. And actually on this day, he was supposed to collect his truck and his boss was very surprised that he did not come by. But I want you to note that I found that last bit of info on Wikipedia and I could not verify that. So take with that as you will. The next day, Xavier bought... 40 kilograms, which translates to 88 pounds of lime. Lime is said to quicken the decomposition process. A neighbor of the family stated that on April 3rd, she noticed Xavier making numerous trips back and forth between his car and the family home, carrying large shopping bags. 
Also on April 3rd, Xavier called his sister at 10.37 p.m. and stated how the family had gone out to dinner that night and saw a movie. The recording of this voicemail was later released to police, and Christine the next day actually had a 30-minute conversation with Xavier, where, according to Christine, he seemed completely normal on the call. Also on April 4th, Anne and Benoit did not show up to school, and apparently the two families' dogs were howling through the night on April 3rd and 4th. Xavier and Thomas were seen out to dinner at a restaurant near Angers, which is about an hour away from the family home. They had dinner around 9 p.m., and they spent 72.55 euros. The waiter stated that she noticed that they were incredibly quiet, and said almost nothing during their meal, but that they were courteous and kind. When they left the restaurant, Thomas said that he wasn't feeling well. On April 5th, a debt collector showed up at the house, but no one answered the door. Thomas spent the day in Angers with a friend and planned to spend the night at the friend's house, but Xavier called him and said that his mother was in a bike accident, so that he needed to come home. The next day, Thomas texted the same friend that he was sick and not coming to class that day. And after that, he texted him that he had lost his charger, which I would assume is his phone charger, and that his dad was going to get him a new one. Neighbors said that they saw Agnès in front of the house on April 5th. And the next day, Acha's girlfriend showed up at the house and knocked on the door, but no one came. She said she noticed a light on in the house and that the dogs were not barking. On April 7th, neighbors outside noticed that Agnès was walking the two dogs around the neighborhood, though this has later been disputed if this was the correct day that they saw Agnès. This would be the last time that anyone saw or heard from the Dupont de Ligonès family. On April 8th, there was some online activity from Xavier, and he sends a message to his brother-in-law. On April 11th, Xavier sends a typed letter to his extended family. The letter reads, translated from French, of course. And just to note that this is a bit long, but I feel like it is necessary to read the whole letter. And in fact, my boyfriend is going to read it for y'all, just so you can get more in the mindset of Xavier. Hi, everyone. Huge surprise. We have to leave urgently for the U.S. due to a very particular set of circumstances that we will explain below. You are receiving this letter by conventional post because for the next few years we cannot communicate any other way, no emails, no texts, no phone calls, for safety reasons. When you read this letter, we will no longer be in France and won't be able to return for an as yet undetermined period of time. A few years. You must be wondering what's going on. Here's the story. At, at least as much as we are allowed to tell you, this letter is the only correspondence we were allowed to write, which might be good news for some of you and has been checked before being sent to you. When we started our company in, in Miami in 2003, we were put into contact through the person who helped us to start the company with the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, a sort of American drug squad with agents on the ground in several countries. 
who were looking for French nationals to infiltrate the French nightclub scene to obtain information about drug trafficking and money laundering networks without drawing attention to themselves. Through the Route des Commerciaux, I found myself in a different city every evening with a legitimate reason to make contact with nightclub bosses, to invite them to be listed in the leisure section of the RDC. So I, Xavier, was the ideal candidate. So once I was tested and briefed, I accepted my mission of working incognito for the DEA under the condition that I maintain secrecy, which includes, even more importantly, the children. So that's the real reason why we returned to France instead of selling in Miami and not due to vacations that are supposedly dangerous, dangerous for the children. Those who never had swallowed this bogus reason can rest assured that they were right, lol. This has allowed us to build up our official business activity, the RDC and Celref, established especially to develop loisir-visite.com alongside RDC so that nightclubs can feature in it and to have an unofficial monthly income since this official activity did not bring in enough money to cover our expense. Far from it. Moreover, even with this cash boost, we have experienced temporarily financial difficulties from time to time, as you all know, and we'd like to take this opportunity to once again thank Emmanuel and Bertrand, who bailed us out in a timely manner by acting as our bankers. Everything has gone according to the plan in the nightclubs for the last seven years until now. With the information that I, Xavier, have collected in this time, I have become a key witness in an upcoming trial involving major international drug trafficking kingpins. The trial will have to take place in the US in the few next years. The date has not been determined. What complicates matters is that certain tips has recently led us to believe that my cover may have been blown. And unfortunately, we received confirmation of this yesterday. Therefore, the situation has now become potentially dangerous for us there and has required us to take emergency measures. When I first went undercover, I accepted that I might be placed into a federal witness protection program. This is what we now have to do and we're not doing it with any excitement. But because it's necessary and there's no way around it, so we have to be taken into a protective custody of the US government and transferred to the US and we have new identities which must of course be kept secret. By the time you read this letter we will officially no longer exist as French citizens. We will be lambda US citizens living in the US like another US citizen except will be forbidden from communicating with our family and friends for an undetermined period of time, at least until the trial is over. 
This gives us some advantages and disadvantages. Advantages, absolute safety, no reprisals to fear. The US government is taking care of us financially. Living in the US, we can't tell you where, but the weather is warm most of the time and the music is good. Disadvantages, sudden rushed departure in total secrecy without being able to put our affairs in order. No contact with you for a long time. Impossible to let everyone know. All electronic communications had to cease immediately. The hardest thing, there is some tension in with the children who couldn't tell their friends and are forbidden from using Facebook and other online networks. But it's okay, really. They understand. We had to give up the dogs. Luckily, someone took both of them so they won't be separated. We are relying on each of you to carry out the tasks that we have assigned to you. We hope we haven't asked too much of any of you. We know we can count on you. Xavier further goes on to state different duties that he has for his friends and family, including cleaning up the house more, selling certain items to inform Agnes's family. And he also states that some of his friends will be compensated for their duties. A lot of parts of this part of the letter are redacted. Um, some names, of course, and some uh, addresses in different places. If you would like to read the full letter in English or French, you can easily find it online. Xavier ends the letter by stating, So that's it for the to-do list. The children's schools are aware that Arthur's and Thomas' landlords and Agnes's Arthur's employers. The official story is that we've been transferred to Australia for work without providing any specific details. It would be good if you could spread this false story on Facebook and elsewhere. We hope it doesn't drag on for too many years. But we're still anxious about how long the legal proceedings in the US will take. In a while from now, we'll be able to send you some information by post. We have designated Emmanuel as the central contact as he has the advantage of knowing almost all of you. He will be the one who receives the letters to be sent on to you. He will receive instructions in good time. Of course, we send all our love and are thinking of you very much during this enforced separation. Take good care of yourselves. We'll have so many stories to tell you later on. So that very long and lengthy letter was just full of complete lies. So according to a newspaper, West France, neighbors were worried first and contacted the police about the missing family on April 13. Now, Xavier had already been on the run. On April 11th and 12th, Xavier stayed in a hotel in Blagnac, France, where he pays with a credit card and leaves in his own car, which was a Citroën C5. On April 13th and 14th, Xavier stayed in a hotel in La Seine-sur-Mer, which is just east of Marseille in about a 10-hour car ride from Nantes. Xavier lived in the town before, and apparently he reached out to an old girlfriend one of the nights he was there, but him and his old girlfriend did not meet up in person. On April 14th, Xavier takes out money from an ATM in Roquebrune, 
sur Agence, which is further east from the last town he was seen in. He checks into a hotel in Roquebrune sur Agence, where he is seen on CCTV. He abandons his car and he has never been seen again. Back in Nantes on April 21st, 2011, Agnès, Benoit, Thomas, Anne, and Arthur and the family's two Labrador dogs were discovered dismembered under their own garden terrace in the backyard. The bodies were covered in lime, and the autopsies discovered that the family was shot from the gun that Xavier had inherited from his father and that the family were drugged. The autopsies show that they were executed in a methodical manner in their sleep. The extended family is advised not to view the bodies, making the family believe that the bodies were not the Dupont de Ligonnès family. The autopsy cannot determine the dates of death, and it's actually pretty hard to determine a date of death. Now, I think what makes this case so crazy is these next details I'm about to give. It honestly keeps me awake and I'm thinking about. So, there's speculation that the family were killed on different days. It is believed that Agnès, Benoit, Atria, and Anne were killed on April 3rd or April 4th, and that Thomas was killed on a later date, possibly the 4th or the 5th of April. Thomas's grave was separate from the others, which suggests that he was killed later. I mean, what was happening in this house? So if Agnès was seen on the April 7th walking the dogs. Did, were some of her children already dead? Did Thomas know that his entire family was dead when he went out to dinner with his dad that night? It's honestly insane to think about how did Xavier have just these mind games on his entire family what happened in that house and unfortunately we are never going to get the answer to that the funeral for Agnès, Achille, Thomas, Anne and Benoit was held on April 28th at the same church the family attended and that Benoit was a choir boy at 1,400 people attended on May 10, 2011, an international arrest warrant was issued for Xavier Dupont de Ligonis, and an Interpol red notice was issued a short time later. If you don't know what Interpol is, it is a large database that countries all over the world can see progresses on cases from around the world. And there's also an organization called Europol, which is centered for European Union countries. It would be my dream to work at Interpol one day. <laughs> anyway, there has been some sightings of Xavier since the crimes and even arrest was made. Xavier got rid of the laptop battery and shaved his head before he went on the run. He could also be using a pseudonym Xavier Laurent, which he checked into some of the hotels under. In July 2015, a journalist from Nantes received a letter signed by Xavier. The letter encases a photo of two of the Dupont de Ligon's sons that had never been published. Um, and a letter read in all capital letters, I am still alive and was dated for July 11th, 2015 from Nantes. 
Uh, they tried to grab fingerprints or saliva from the letter without any success. There were also rumors that Xavier was in a monastery in uh, the south of France. The monks at this monastery had to take a vow of silence, which would, of course, protected Xavier. Um, the rumor was actually taken seriously because one of the monks did look like Xavier, but it turned out not to be him. This past year, on October 11th in 2019, in Scotland, a man was arrested at the Glasgow airport from a flight from Charles de Gaulle Airport from Paris, who is believed to be Xavier. They checked the fingerprints of the man who was taken under the alias Guy Joao, but it turned out to be a guy just named Guy Joao. It was not Xavier. The main investigator of the case believes that Xavier committed suicide shortly after he killed his family, and there have been bones found um, near where Xavier was last seen in the south of France in Nantes, and they have been tested to no avail. None of them has been confirmed as Xavier. If you have any information about the murders of the Dupont de Ligonnès or the disappearance about Xavier Dupont de Ligonnès, please contact the Nantes Police Department at country code plus 33-253-46-7000 or country code 33 if someone answers in French, just say parle anglais and they will get you someone who speaks English so you can give your tip. Well, that is it. The first episode of a crime story podcast. Thank you so incredibly much for listening. If you could please re leave a review of the podcast, it helps others find it and it can help me improve in my podcasting skills. And also, if you could tell a friend about a crime story, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to see pictures from this case, go to Instagram at a crime story pod where you will see some interesting stuff from the case. And I hope to see you next time where I will be covering a case from Iceland. A Crime Story is hosted and written by me, Kaylin Lois. Theme music is from Ross Budgen. Additional voices added by Francois Tardivov, who also helps me produce and edit the show. Thank you so much for listening to A Crime Story. Stay safe and be kind. <laughs>